0: we
1: Discussion to Truth, uh, Wednesday, 5.17 p.m. Eastern Standard. I am your host, Ian Hamilton Troche. You can donate to the program at Iantrache.com. Uh, stopmassmedia.com is uh, another one of the hashtags. Uh, discussions of Truth.com, and of course, uh, uh, Freedom Reserved, which is uh, my book coming out next month, published by Trine Day. You can get that at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, chapters in the U- uh, in Canada, and uh, a number of sites uh, online around the world, Australia, and the UK, Denmark. Um, we have... Uh, sabotage coming your way. The hidden nature of finance. I'm going to attempt to bring in Ronan Palin. Uh, Anastasia Nesvetilova and Ronan are co-authors on this book. We're going to attempt first to bring in Ronan via Skype on the uh, computer interface and if not, then we'll bring him in another way. The reason I say that is because I uh, last couple attempts via Skype on uh, the computer interface with uh, JP Lindstroth we have failed. He has not been able to hear me. But uh, here we go with Ronan. Ronan Palin coming your way. Hello, Ronan. Can you hear me?
2: Hello. We don't hear very well. Hello.
1: huh. okay. Uh, Ronan, try again? yeah, I'm going to try again. Let's, uh, let's we'll bring Ronan in here. Uh, let me give him another shot here. Ronan, how's that? Yes, sounds
2: much better. So Anastasia here is with me as well. The BBC cancelled.
0: Hi, oh. and yes, we, we got time zones confused. I was sure it was five in the afternoon.
1: Oh, fantastic. I, that's great to hear.
0: So I hope it's not a camera,
1: though, because I'm not prepared. No, uh, just audio here, no camera, so rest assured. Uh, Jocelyn uh, uh, had let me know that Ronan, so I'm, I'm delighted uh, that Anastasia is with us. Now, let's get right into it uh, here. Um, give a, For listeners, give a, a brief uh, I give a brief introduction for the the two of you, if you would. Uh, I have uh, 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 talked briefly about the two of you joining the program in re- previous episodes. Uh, but uh, Anastasia, start with you. Give a just a quick, uh, brief description of what you do and who you are. Uh,
0: hi, I am a professor of international political economy at City University in London, and I have been working on issues of Financial system uh, pretty much all my career. Mostly it was about financial instability and regulation, um, but ine- inevitably it took me to the study of um, something called financial innovation the process of inventing money that is um, very uh, complex, mysterious, and very, very important. So it's with this focus that I came into this book, because we understood that part of the story that needs to be told about finance is really the power of financial innovation in our society and politics.
1: Excellent. Wonderful undertaking. Now, Ronan, um, you are uh, author of other books uh, that have actually caught my interest. Uh, Anastasia, pardon me, but I, I haven't. Uh, dived into uh, what you've written in the past, um, but uh, for instance, uh, Ronan, you have, uh, you have authored a books on uh, offshore accounts, tax haven, uh, havens, and why don't you, uh, quickly for listeners, uh, tell them who you are.
2: So I'm, I'm also a, pro- a professor of international political economy, and yes, I worked for many years on the subject of offshore finance tax havens, offshore financial centers, um, this has been, this really occupied me for the last 20, 25 years, the study of tax havens and tax
1: avoidance. Wonderful. Um, so we can, we can really go in many different directions here. Let's start with the base question. Anastasia, you are uh, listed as the first author. Um, what inspired you to write this book? Uh, what inspired you to write the book?
0: Ronan, in many ways, because he had been talking about... It. It's mm-hmm. really a, it's a synthesis of us both. Um, yeah. He added the historical depth because he had been studying um, the transition of economic thought in the 1930s, the most crucial time in, um, in the 20th century, when economic ideas became um, radically different, or had to become radically different and he was always interested in the people who made them different. So one of them was Thorstein Veblen, that we referenced in the book, or we, 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 we based our one of our core arguments on his work. At the same time, what inspired me um, in writing uh, kind of more concretely about financial processes is the legacy of the last crisis that, ironically, we are now almost reliving only more dark, in a darker context now with the biological crisis, but really um, the 2008-2009 financial disaster, it was a very multifaceted phenomenon, um, and it, I, I understood that it was naive to think that it was sorted out back then. Um, there were issues still lingering, um, including about shadow banking, including about wealth management, including about power. Uh, of finance vis a vis the state, the market, um, the consumers, or each other. And this is how I wanted to contribute to the book. I wanted to investigate what exactly uh, finance is doing to us and why.
1: Right. So this is this is wonderful. And for Americans, in the 1930s, you're looking at, uh, well, the 1929 Great Depression stock market crash. The Dow closed today, I think, at 18 – well, it's certainly below uh, 20,000. Uh, it has seen in the past few days – the biggest drop in its history uh, as far as the United States goes, we're treading in incredibly uh, tumultuous times here, but backpedaling uh, to the 1930s as you're bringing, you brought up, you've got to completely reshape in the economic system after the, uh, after the crash of 1929. And then of course uh, FDR's uh, great new deal uh, that, uh, that he installed for, for economics. Do you have any comments on that?
2: Yes, absolutely. Well, the crisis that we are now facing in many ways um, it's different, of course, it's completely different. The two big crises that we are talking about, 1929 and 2008, the financial crisis, this is in a sense a real crisis, basically globalization, the whole world is going to lockdown, and of course the economy is collapsing with it. But as you say, there are similarities because the American economy essentially collapsed, real economy collapsed during the early 1930s, and the effect and the, re- the solution to it was something that perhaps we should uh, be,
0: be, be listening to
2: uh, these days as well.
1: Yeah. Anastasia, your thoughts?
0: Um, yes. about that. I agree with Ronel that is, the crisis now is a different and more, much more painful and much more systemic. It was in, in some way, in retrospect, much easier to solve in um, 2008. It wasn't resolved fully, but at, at the time, key institutions such as central banks did whatever they could. Really, they were most flexible. They were very innovative, and basically, they saved the world with some consequences. But they, they did it. Uh, at the same time, this is a quite unprecedented what's going on now, and even very powerful central banks don't have all the capacity or knowledge. In they fact. don't have it all. Central banks can't don't um, do much at all. Yeah, well, the lowered interest rate, maybe they will pump more liquidity, maybe they will order the banks to keep lending, well, they can do something, but this is quite, we're really in uncharted waters, we have never been here before. The the nuance is that the 1930s reforms, institutions and ideas are the closest we have to a workable policy um, for capitalism. Really. Uh-huh. Uh, so, it, it's often that you hear authors or politicians uh, referring to that kind of set of legislature or, um, again, ideas or theories. It's not because 1930s was such a magical time, quite on the contrary, but literally, it's the closest we have to a, a recipe or a set of recipes for uh, political, social, and economic institutions to be adapted. To a sustainable um,
1: system. Now we've we've certainly got a biological crisis uh, that is causing uh, this economic crisis, which uh, remains to be seen, but quite possibly can be uh, much. Worse than the biological crisis. So, 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 two, so, like you've alluded to, Ronan, two totally different triggers, uh, and certainly in two thousand eight in the United States, it was the subprime mortgage uh, crisis, from my understanding, that caused to two thousand eight. Now, Anastasia, in regards to a uh, theory in your book, uh, you you address uh, Eugene Francis uh, Fama, uh, if I pronounced uh, that right, efficient market theory. Fama. Fama. Uh, but yeah, I want to kind of shift gears. We can go to that, and I also want to read uh, something for listeners as we return to that. But but just quickly here, um, we have uh, very interesting because in your book you do address Michael Milken, and uh, and I'd like to get both of your thoughts individually on uh, 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 the uh, 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 the. Uh, 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 uh Well, uh, anyway, the the Trump pardon. Uh, he's recently been pardoned by Trump. Um And so what are your thoughts in, uh, in that regard to that, the, the trash bonding that he did in the market in the 80s?
0: Well, specifically on the Trump pardon, I was not even surprised. It was a, a, a minor news on, on my news feed, and I dismissed it. It, it was very almost anticipated. Um. I think the way we use him and the way I chose that particular case study as an illustration is to contrast and emphasize that the individual innovators and even individual innovations are not criminals uh, by default and they have never been um, really planning to, to do something crooked or illegal. In fact, the instrument that Milken devised for the system was at the time very necessary uh, for the you know, flagging American economy, the corporations that couldn't get uh, the funding from the market. It was very clever. Um, and there was nothing in the instrument itself, or in fact, I mean, I don't know him personally, but from, from the research that we have done, it wasn't set up as a criminal affair at all. Uh, the way it was internalized by the system once it was kind of issued into mass usage um, facilitated that transition. And this is exactly what happened to all innovations that were described in the book the milk and junk bond, securitization of Louis Ranieri, uh, the CDS that were at the center of 2008, um, probably cryptocurrencies that are going on now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's quite uh, an important contrast between the individual idea that most of the time, as far as I understand through my work, is usually very necessary, adequate and responsive to the needs of the economy of the time. And most of the people behind the innovations were genuinely driven by the idea of improving something, either their own institution or the system, or maybe, um, the position in the market or doing something quite good to to um, or more let's say positive um to the financial system of the economy it's the way the the setup of that evolved uh, that would usually bring up instability prices or or, or semi-criminal behavior or consequences
1: ronan your comments
2: Yes, I think the second part of your question with regard to Trump and um, that's quite significant when you talk about sabotage. Okay, so we don't think that um, financiers, in principle, although of course some of them will, are intentionally there to make um, life difficult for others or to sabotage others. We think the sabotage is systematic, systemic, Mm -hmm. because of the very nature of the economic system. Okay, because in a in a re- real market economy, competitive economy, the kind of economy that people are celebrating, it's very difficult to make money. It's almost impossible to make money, and profit, and so that's the paradox of that economy is that it drives businesses to find ways of not playing by the rules, you know, at the edge of the rules, and so on and so forth, and 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 and, and, and sabotaging. Now, what we want, of course, I don't know who am I reflecting as me, as we, but I guess what society would like is on the one hand business to flourish, but sure. at the same time to push business in a direction that, that the fruits or the, the benefits they can generate will be beneficial to society as a whole. So to push them away from sabotage. And one of the ways by which we do it is of course by law, criminal law. And if those people who are sabotaging the rest, and then, you know, then the president comes along and just without any explanation, really, just pardon them. That may give an incentive or yeah. reduce the deterrence in the future. So, in that sense, it's a very negative move on the part of President Trump.
1: Yeah. Um, the, so, suffered. go go ahead, Andrew. Go ahead. Uh, Sorry.
2: Somebody suffered from the actions of Milken, Okay, and quite a few people did. Now, the reason why we put people like this in prison, if they are if they are to blame. Is to avoid it in the future as a form of deterrence, and if you remove these deterrence, then you may get it again. And in fact, we did get it again, and we will we will get it again
0: soon.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. So, in, in uh, page twenty twenty three, you, you you draw on a Joe Bain a quote, uh, it, it reads, in a purely competitive market where there's there is free entry. And competitive buying of factors, long-run equilibrium returns for all firms should just cover contractual imputant wages, interests, and rent. In other words, in an efficient open market, firms are likely to make very thin profits just enough to ensure the survival of the business. If the theory is correct, then it is obviously a problem for business – the the notion of sabotage obviously is to to make money and squelch or squash um your competition in in a way that uh of, of course uh, draws you the profits that that they don't Uh, they can't obtain. Um, You've got obviously a a thin line between what becomes uh, an antitrust and what it becomes a monopoly, Uh, but this is again the system. Can we pull back from this and say fractional reserve banking in itself is a form of sabotage? Anastasia, what do you think?
2: Thinking
0: about it. I'm thinking because it's the first time confronted with this question. Why would you raise this? Why would you think that fractional reserve banking is sabotage? Well, sabotage
1: I, go ahead. I, I'm wondering <laughs> if it's if it creates a, a fair playing field uh, is, is 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 all my uh, question is. Right. I think um,
2: I, I, again, I'm not sure whether fractional banking. I'm not sure if I meant it directly, but I think in any set of rules and regulations, there are ways and means of sabotaging, okay? So we cannot remove rules or regulation. We we cannot live without them. We cannot live without institutions. So in that sense, every single set of rules or every set of rules might, might create opening for some form of sabotage, if that's what you mean. But we are struggling to understand why fractional banking is... Yeah, possible. I think
0: you need to, yeah. to delineate two concepts. The fractional reserve banking as a requirement for the system, uh, that's part of regulation, and in our view it is not sabotage, it's just regulation by, by the public of, yeah. of, of an industry. Um, the way banks operate in that system is in fact by sabotage, because they or any other financial institution, or in fact, any other big business, um, they always cover out niches or use opportunities to either you know, bypass the rules, uh, avoid regulation, take advantage of the consumer, control the market, and hopefully you know, take over each other if, if uh, things work out well.
1: Now, you talk, you talk in your report uh, extensively about uh, the Pecora report. Would, would you share with yeah. listeners exactly what that is?
0: Well, the Pecora Report is named um, after Senator or or Councilor Ferdinand Pecora, who was um, a politician, a policymaker in the U.S. at the time, and who was personally invested in investigating the causes of the 1930s recession, the 1929 crash, and and what became the lost decade for American capitalism. Um, he, in fact, replaced his predecessor, who wasn't as keen on such a granular investigation. And and he really became the driver of uh, quite a massive um, conversation with the industry, between the lawmakers, with the Congress, and uh, whoever was involved in finance at the time. And he was personally interrogating a lot of the, uh, let's call them, I'm not saying culprits, but you know, key figures at the time. So, some of our um, citations is from the dialogue that seems pertinent even today um, because of the issues they discussed. Um, why we used the Pekora report? Um, I was, uh, I have to confess, it was Ronan's hunch, and I was initially skeptical, but, but once I read the text, I was shocked as to how close um, to the environment of the 2009-2007-2009 crisis the investigation was, um, how similar the problems were, um, how similar the behavior of the financiers was in both contexts, and just how different the political response appeared to be. So in the 1930s, politician, you know, Pecoran and all his colleagues, uh, they really went after finance they were focused on the idea that controlling the market in the in the interests of the business is harmful to society and they went quite far with that logic they 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 then informed the institutional reform that followed what happened in 2007 is that nobody did the same nobody questioned the the social value of business nobody made a distinction between the market and the business and everybody seems to be still operating with the fact that usually businesses are very uh, helpful to society. They are, you know, they are force for good because they employ people and create jobs and uh, produce stuff. Uh, we disagree with that following the core and, and his investigation. And we make quite a sharp distinction between the idea of the market That, to be honest, we believe that is still very much an optimal allocator of resources. There is nothing wrong with that theory. Uh, And that of business, especially big business, that tends to sabotage its key function, society, the state, and the market itself.
1: Very interesting. Um, uh, Ronan, yeah.
0: If I may
2: add to it. Yeah. There's a long tradition in the United States, I think, spanning all the way back to 1890s, of fantastic congressional reports which are investigating, investigated the practice of banking, the practice of big corporations the like. And you, rightly so, you mentioned that in fact they end up with the initial antitrust laws, which were very much very much inspired by the theories of the progressive movement in the United States. Thorsten Veblen was one of the key thinkers for that, in that movement. So there's a long tradition in the United States of excellent reports, and they go back to 1890. They go, you know, in the last 10 years, we had the Levin Committee that have done fantastic studies um, into the practice of banking and cooperation and the like. Um, the Pecora report proved to be particularly, in the 90s that was written, 1933, 1934, proved to be particularly powerful and influential in actually changing policy in States. And that's been unique. When you talk about the Glass-Steagall other regulations, they are really the brainchild of that particular report or that investigation. But since then, there have been a lot of other very good investigations. Very few of them had the same impact on policy in the United States.
1: Very interesting. Um, You talk also extensively about Goldman Sachs. um, And of course, that's in regard to the 2008 Uh, crisis. Chapter 4, Dead Souls at the Royal Bank of Scotland. I'd like you to uh, talk about that a little bit for listeners, but uh, perhaps as we, before we get into that, In the UK, uh, what is your opinion on this? In the UK, uh, the economics are driven by the City of London uh, and or uh, also referred to as the Corporation of London. It's a small uh, neighborhood jurisdiction uh, within the actual outer metropolitan area known as London. Uh, This is a... Uh, my understanding it's it's um, it's a, it's a banking center that basically runs uh, the economics of the country. Is is that accurate?
2: That's not no. It's not, not okay. Exactly accurate, and it's not inaccurate. Um, I, if I could spend a bit of time about explaining what is city of London, and I guess you'll edit it for what you think is um, because it's really a unique a unique. Uh, First of all, it is in the centre of London, it's called the Square Mile, and it's a unique borough, it's a particular borough within the City of London, which has its own corporation, its own organisation, it has its own police force, it has its own foreign policy, Uh, when the Queen wants to visit, she has to ask permission to visit the City of London, uh, which she does once a year, it even maintains a few parks in London. So it's a unique organization. It's more of a medieval organization, a medieval guild that survived right. around the world. Now it survived because it didn't change. Okay, other uh, other cities, other cities or, or wards have changed with the time, became more democratic. The city of London is simply a remnant of medieval time, a bit like um, Andorra or Jersey or other jurisdictions. things like that. That's, that's, right. that's physically what it is. Now, it is more than a banking center. Okay, It's a square mile and it's the center of what we call the City of London as a financial center. This financial center, until recently, rivaled rival Wall Street.
1: Uh-huh, right. And
2: in many respects was, I would say, even larger. And it rivaled Wall Street because it really served a whole Global market rather than European market or, in the case of Wall Street, more US market. And when I say it's a financial center, uh, what I mean by that is that banks play a role in that, but even the largest banks are not really controlling or not really dominant. And the City of London consists of a lot of accounting firms, legal firms, consultancy firms. It's a particular organization that really evolved as part of the British Empire.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
2: And if you, you know, just to kind of bring us back to the time of British empires, we didn't have telex, we didn't have email, we didn't have all this information. We did, you know, at that time you had kind of specialist banking groups, small groups, small consultancy, who were specialists in the different regions of the empires and investing. So the city of London is really unique. It's very different from Wall Street. It's much larger in terms of size.
1: Yeah. And it's – it's, it's it, would you say it's um, – what would you say, Ronan? Would you say that it is on a global scale, that it's uh, more powerful than Wall Street? Would you Would you agree with that?
2: I don't know. It's very difficult to measure power in uh-huh. a sense. So we are looking um, in terms of the data. So when we talk about financial centers, we – look at different, these are different markets linked to each other, so so there's the kind of foreign exchange markets, there are various uh, derivative markets, uh, it consists of 10, 15 markets, different financial markets, and the services are are around them. In some respects, Wall Street is clearly miles ahead of the City of London, in Uh other respects the City of London, other markets, City of London is larger. Altogether, in terms of size, in terms of volume, until recently, recently was Brexit vote, and they were more or less the same on par. In some respect, I think the city of, in some, in one respect, Wall Street is much more influential, because I think most of the innovation comes from the States.
1: Right, right.
2: Um, So, Wall Street has traditionally, and I don't know exactly why, really was the innovator, the driver. But in other respects, City of London is much more significant in the sense that it's largely or at least until recently has been largely an offshore financial center much less regulated than wall street and have been for so, and linked yeah. much strongly into other financial centers like cayman island uh Barbuda, bahamas jersey guernsey hong kong singapore it's the city of london is really has a tentacle and the best way of understanding the city of London is not a, 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 a geographic location take place in London, but actually a worldwide center that is cleared through London.
1: Anastasia, some comments there?
0: Uh, yes, the reason I, I was more categorical in, in telling you off to, to that your portrayal of the corporation <laughs> of London is wrong uh, is p- partly because Ronan spent much more time researching the problem. But I, I regard uh, the city of London as a very global entity, uh, precisely because of this embeddedness in the offshore uh, network in really the second British Empire, and without it. It's impossible to understand it. It really doesn't so much serve. I mean, it's a very important part of the UK economy, and and it, it it is leading kind of the so-called financialization argument. That kind of everything here depends on the city. Not everything, but it's very important. Um, but it has this two faces to it, or two facets. It's 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 global, and therefore. Um, for example, uh, according to the Bank of England figures, um, half of uh, UK financial system are banks. The other half are non-bank financial institutions, and this includes any, anything. Uh, pension funds, hedge funds, non-bank financial corporations, um, shadow banking connections between them. Um, so it's it's very important to understand that really it's quite a complex knot um, of uh, credit institutions. Um, most of them have connections globally,
1: and of course they're they're feeding in as well into in some way or another into Basel, Switzerland, and the IMF.
0: The, uh, okay,
2: but Basel and the imf it's, um, well, the IMF is a kind of a regulatory body. Body. Basel is a more voluntary body, which coordinates, supposed to coordinate both research and activities of the central banks in the world. Um, to give you an example what we mean by the city of London being embedded, okay? so if you look at Cayman Island, small island in the Caribbean, it's sometimes uh, qualify as the fourth largest financial center, sometimes the fifth. It's really the competition with Frankfurt, with Germany, Cayman Island. But, um, so, on the face of it, it's a very large financial center. But quite often, many of the deals that are taking place in Cayman Islands are actually taking place primarily in London and are booked in Cayman Island. Okay? So, London, in that sense, is much larger. The deals are done here, but they are booked. Cayman Island, Jersey, they are booked in other places. And in that sense, London is using other places. In that sense, it's embedded in much Wider uh, context.
1: So, has this spawned the creation of what is known as cryptocurrencies through blockchain uh, engineering? It didn't
2: spawn it. Do you want to respond to that?
0: Um, n- not, not directly, but it's, um, it's an area, like many others, that. Um provide an ideal holy grail for the fusion between literally a legal space, almost physical space and cyberspace, and a financial opportunity to make some profit by literally now creating tokens uh, that could be called money in one platform or another. Um, It's not particularly linked to the City of London, although... um, Many economies now are trying to um, to go with the idea that fintech is a, a new industry, and it fintech. needs to be. Um, and it's quite a serious kind of. A lot of ministers who are in charge of business are promoting competition in this area. Um, I'm very skeptical about that, but it's really it's it's a, probably today the most powerful fusion of. Uh, Computer technologies, cyberspace, uh, legal maneuvering, uh, or legal niche uh, that had been opened up by lagging legislature, and financial opportunity. Is
1: this That's something kind of that Ronan, do you have something yes, to say?
2: Kind of an anecdote that may kind of shed some light on this world of cryptocurrency. From the world that I know, in the late 1990s, there were. A serious discussion among some academics and some uh, uh, they about setting the moon as a tax haven. Now, on the face of it, it sounds like a complete joke, yes? Right. Setting the moon as a tax, you know. I mean, the argument is very clear. Why should we rely on the rules of Cayman Island or Switzerland? You know, they have governments and they may change the rules. If we set up our own tax haven, then we control the rules. But then why the moon? Of course the moon is a fictional place in that sense. They will not move to the moon. But there was serious discussion about it. In many ways, cryptocurrencies is that ah, variant is in it's a variant of that. <laughs> I mean, why do we need governments to, you know, to generate money? We right. can do it by ourselves. That's that's so that discussion that was so abstract twenty years ago kind of happened. Um then, of course, financial centres like London, London is constantly looking for opportunities, are trying to attract that sort of deals, that sort of activities into to be located here, or the expertise of running it. So, London is clearly is is trying to grab that particular market.
1: So, what is the future, in your opinion, of cryptocurrency? As I think that, uh, as the years uh, go by, of uh, recent anyway, the last ten. Um, there's certainly a niche and there's certainly a following of uh, people globally that are getting into that uh, heavily and creating massive um, uh, mining facilities and that sort of thing. And, and there's obviously a uh, notion of uh, it simply won't go anywhere. But uh, it, what is your opinion on the cryptocurrency? Is that something that uh, the, the, the global economy will be shifting towards at all in your view?
0: First of all, I cannot predict with the exact timing. uh, I don't think the world economy will be shifting towards cryptocurrencies in any time soon. I think that particular area of economy will be evolving, and it will evolve through a crisis like all innovations before it, Uh, all financial innovations. You cannot cannot point to any invention of a credit instrument um, or a financial security that hadn't gone through a A transition through crisis. Some of them did disappear, but most of them were then sort of regularized as some version of themselves. So I risk to predict that there will be something like that to the crypto world. When I I I I would struggle now to predict it. It's already very complex and very fragmented. Um, And the world has been busy regulating other stuff. (laughs) So it had been evolving by itself privately.
1: Yeah.
2: there's a reason why we actually devoted a chapter to cryptocurrencies in this book, and that's um, the theory of cryptocurrency may sound quite idealistic. You know? Why rely on government? Um, politicians will always try to intervene in one way or another. We just basically we use money as a, as, as a means of exchange. Why won't we privatize it and take it away from politicians? However, what happened with the cryptocurrencies? Is of course soon enough we discovered that they are a massive, um, a, 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 they, they are using massively for tax avoidance, tax evasion, money laundering, and the like. Okay. No, and worse uh, and drug worse. smuggling, drug human trafficking,
0: uh, arms dealing. This, yeah. uh, this is a very, so it's not just shadow economy, it's, it's a black market. And Drugs, yeah. So I
2: think um, I don't see many governments ultimately accepting it for a long time. That um, you know that kind of opening for any form of criminality. So and that's probably the that's 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 probably the biggest hurdle that uh, cryptocurrencies are facing uh, before they become um, much
1: more endemic to the system. Thank you. Uh, for listeners uh, in that in that chapter dedicated to uh, the blockchain, the uh, the crypto, they'll read you will be reading about Hyman Minsky's theory. Um, we as we wind down, um, uh, uh, Ronan and. and uh, uh, Anastasia, um, I, I would like you to um, give a little bit of a tease, if you will, a, a little bit of a, uh, a comment on uh, your fourth chapter. I believe it is "Dead Souls" at the Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, uh, give a give a quick uh, a, a thought uh, or comment, if you would, on, on that chapter.
0: The chapter is named. Um, I plagiarized Nikolai Gogol. Who was a Russian Ukrainian writer in the 19th uh, century? And he described various practices of aspiring noblemen who, uh, this particular one invented a technique. He was buying the lists of dead peasants from other farmers or landowners in order to appear richer than he actually was. Um, so let's google. In, at RBS in 2007, this is what they were doing to their clients. Uh, staff at RBS would wait a little bit after receiving the news that the client was now deceased. Uh, they didn't file the death certificate in time. They would delay it. And instead, they would roll this deceased customer into a much more expensive premium account in order to claim bonuses for themselves. It was done quite massively on a, on a, bank, on a bank-wide scale. Um, and it was then investigated by UK Parliament. It was later classified as a small scam. Um, in addition, Abias had various practices um, that they uh, pioneered, really, at the time. So another was forging signatures on customers' agreements. The particular advice was to go to a very special photocopier in a very special business park, to run a document several times through the photocopier to, um, to shade a little bit the original so that the signature, that it will be impossible to, to detect uh, original signature uh, and the forged one. The forged signatures were then used on documents that would be sabotaging the client by putting them on a product that they never thought they wanted, they never needed it, but they had to pay for it eventually again this was investigated by uk parliament and again that would be later classified as small scam this is not just a small story rbs just to put it in context it's very important in 2007 rbs was the largest bank in the world by asset size it was bigger than uh, hsbc goldman anything else it was the largest bank in the world It was then, uh, through a series of very fateful and unfortunate events, um, uh, what we call hosticide and lots of sabotaging techniques of small and and small businesses and small and medium business owners, it was eventually taken over by the government because it it, it went bankrupt. It remains the least popular bank in the UK. If you ask an average Briton here, which bank do you hate most? Probably they would say RBS.
2: They've changed the, the, the they changed their name now because of that. Interesting. <laughs> to not rest, not I think the story the story of the dead souls, what is interesting from our perspective I mean there are a lot of interesting things about yeah. it. Is that from from bank personnel perspective, clients are a source of making money. And source of making money is not by servicing them. As we learn, we normally think of banks as servicing their clients. At least they may claim that they do, okay? But for RBS and Wells Fargo and many others, the crisis, you know, the scandal of Wells Fargo, I think is will be very well known in the United States. They treat their clients as a source of money, and particularly when clients are dead, they have less opportunities to complain. So that's... So essentially once you upgrade somebody to a premium account, you, they, you know, the, 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 the banker himself get a bonus for that. There are a lot of those. And on the other hand, of course, the bank gain from this because the premium account costs money, you pay, you pay into this premium account for, suppose, the services you get. So if you, are, if you have a premium account, the service you get is, for example, travel insurance, expanded travel insurance, or VIP lounge in airport, or that sort of thing. So clearly, these dead people didn't have much use for those barriers. But
0: they could be mined. (laughs) But to bring it closer Mm -hmm. to home, to you, um, several weeks ago, uh, Wells Fargo, one of your largest banks, had to pay a fine, and they had to pay a fine of $3 billion for something quite similar. They didn't use deceased people, but they made up people. Uh They made up millions of fake accounts. Uh, and banked them, really, um, and it was one of the many many problems or many uh, acts of behavior that Wells Fargo did, and CNN, I'm now reading from the page, emphasizes that 3 billion doesn't cover other misdoings, it's just for the fake accounts.
1: My goodness, yeah. Uh,
0: we do cover the fake account scandal in the book. But it's just to emphasise the systemic nature of sabotage that we just—that's why the book is called sabotage. It's not just that somebody clever at ABS decided to forge signatures or to use dead people for money. It's um, there is logic in the system uh, why institutions are doing that.
1: Right. So the, the cover illustration, uh, folks, is a golden egg. Unfortunately, it is empty. Um, so striking, uh, uh, striking uh, at the core of this, perhaps, if there is one uh, to be taken away, what would you say, Ronan, is the hidden nature of finance? There's many layers to it. Uh, would you say getting closest to it might be these offshore tax havens? What's your opinion?
2: So I think um, we learned from people we talked to, we heard a story, which we cannot verify, but we heard the story that in one of the last meetings of Lehman Brothers, uh, somebody raised, or a lawyer raised, a, raised an issue at that particular meeting. Don't we have conflict of interest in this particular matter? Good question. And the chair said, no conflict, no interest. We have to bear in mind that the financial system, like all systems, Operating and it's a highly competitive system, okay? And highly competitive market. uh, It's very difficult to make money in a highly competitive market, and that is true in finance. It's true for the supermarkets. It's true for everybody else. And unless you have regulations that are trying to to thwart at least slow down sabotage, we will have a situation in which those businesses will sabotage their clients, sabotage and sabotage each other. We simply have to factor that in. Bank, banking, financial system, not simply a service economy. They will sabotage everybody because that's the way of making money in a system. I don't know. That, that's my take out. From
1: this yeah, thank you. Um, Anastasia, what is your uh, take? What is your opinion on uh, how to uh, uh, clean up the system um is this is this a very complex question, of course. But what what can we do? And of course, you're in the UK. I'm in the US. But what 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 can be done, perhaps, in your view, to um, to at least make headway to to clean this system up and make it a, a more level playing field? How, how, how do you feel about that? What's your comment there? Um, we
0: finished the book with five quite simple i'm not i'm not saying recommendations but points one of the points is to um what we call move beyond the dichotomy of market vis-a-vis regulation and make a distinction between the market and the business it's very important um it's businesses who act on uh, uh, buy and sell principle it's businesses who have the power to use all their um, knowledge capacity structure Um, against the regulators, against the state, against the consumer. The market itself is not really the problem. It's it's the problem because it's highly competitive and tough to operate in. That's why businesses employ these techniques. And probably the final point um, that would be particularly unpopular in America because you are so individualized in your thinking um, is to... uh, uh, kind of stop the now fashionable notion that finance is an industry for managing other people's money. You know, it was a movie with Danny DeVito, it's an old one, I think it was called Other People's Money. Um, I I hear a lot that, you know, today finance is speculative because it's casino or because it's... um, it's it's a system for managing other people's money. It's our common wealth. This money wouldn't be there if the social institutions and political guarantees that created this wealth didn't function. Um, and so we suggest that, A, we need to think about new types of wealth as it, as it is being created by the financial system. We all are part of this process. It's very important to understand that it's not, against us it's not outside of us we are very much in it from birth to death um and quite radically i we call for the for the notion that it's not their wealth it's our common wealth managed by financiers
1: thank you thank you very much uh the book is 260 pages. Uh, it's currently available, just came out last month. Uh, Public Affairs, Hatchet Book Group, New York, New York. Um, some closing comments. Uh, we'll start with you, Ronan. Uh, please provide some closing comments for listeners.
2: I think I'll take, from, uh, take the cue from Anastasia. Um, we tend to have kind of dichotomous opinion or ideologies with regard to business and markets. There are those people who we think of as anti-market, anti-business, or the left, and those who are pro-market, pro-business on the right. That has been the way we understood politics. Our view, we are pro-market, but anti-business, okay? So we we think that progressives should understand that the market itself is not the problem, and we shouldn't aim for something like socialism, that uh, of this the type that we saw in Soviet Union or right like market is not a problem the problem is allowing business free hand so we think that we allow free regulation that's open competitive markets No. if you allow free hands to business they'll do exactly the opposite they'll try to close down the market they'll try to sabotage the market um, so free regulation is not being pro-business and pro-market. It's being pro-business against markets.
1: Excellent. Anastasia?
0: Uh, don't think that it's not your problem. <laughs> <laughs> Again, <laughs> oh, to, uh, yeah, to Ian whoever is listening. You are part of this system. We, we are all are systems. in it together. <laughs> It's not that's my simple conclusion. Okay, it's not just it's not somewhere there in the city of London or somewhere on Wall Street or mid mid Manhattan or Upper Manhattan. No, your life is governed by financial calculations, understandings of risk, investment um, expectations of the future, and sabotage, and and therefore (laughs) sabotage. So you are in the system being used.
1: Right. So so stand up and do something about it. Correct.
0: But not individually. Individually, you're absolutely, it does not matter. Yeah, you're well just a, a, a potential dead soul for uh, people <laughs>
1: like RPS. Ladies and gentlemen, the hidden truth of finance sabotage. Uh, Anastasia Nesvetilova and Ronan Palin, uh, thank you both for joining the program. Uh, we look forward to reaching back out to you in the future. Thank you both. Thank you
0: very Thanks much,
2: very Ian. Much. Thanks. Bye-bye.
1: Anastasia and Ronan, uh, their work is very compelling. Look, um, as I'd mentioned uh, to start the program, I'm not uh, I'm not familiar with uh, much of Anastasia's uh, work, but uh, but simply a, a a query in your uh, search engine uh, will uh, yield some very interesting publications by Ronan. The fact of the matter, look, the fact of the matter is, folks is that the global economic system is sabotaged. Just the system itself is sabotaged. And so you've got to figure out collectively, just like Anastasia said, uh, how to uh, better protect yourself and make the market uh, freer. Um, look, as an American, uh, I see personally, and not knowing economics and not knowing finance, Um uh, City University of London is where uh, both of these uh, uh, these authors uh, research and teach. Um, uh, I am simply uh, I am simply a uh, a, a platform uh, for their voices to carry. Uh, so they know obviously far more than uh, than what I do. But I will say that a system like in the United States. Uh, the Federal Reserve. Yes, it definitely helps protect. But again, it's democratically, how do you get uh, your labor and your efforts, again, collectively, uh, to make your life better? Uh, What you're seeing in the United States is And again, Ronan alluded to this, okay, steer away from uh, perhaps the socialist agenda, uh, the communist uh, type approach. Um, uh, So how do you uh, mitigate and uh, balance uh, this to where you do make uh, life uh, better for for all? So uh, what is happening in the United States is a complete attack on the middle class. Uh, wherever you're living around the world, evaluate your situation. Uh, look at w- what's happening to your local economy. The middle class for Americans is being obliterated. It's shrinking dramatically. Uh, this is from what I understand. Uh, the uh, poverty level is expanding. The homelessness problem in large cities like Los Angeles is growing. Extensively, uh, 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 Jim Beslow joined us uh, a couple months ago to discuss that. Uh, he has his program in L.A. and he is uh, a, a legal analyst, of course, but he, he, he does analysts for Fox News and some other uh, outlets in, in, in L.A. Uh, there is a crisis. There is a sabotage taking place uh, around the globe. The coronavirus will make things ever more interesting, won't it? This has been Discussion of Truth. Thank you for tuning in. I will be returning uh, for a a commentary uh, outside of uh, the hidden finances... Excuse me, the hidden nature of finance sabotage. So, stay tuned uh, if you're listening live. Uh, stay tuned. I will return for some commentary uh, regarding the coronavirus. Until next week, folks. Simply do your best. I, 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 look, if you're listening to this, if these words uh, resonate with you, um, share it with family member. Share it with a co-worker. Share it with somebody. If you're in self quarantined right now uh, in California, wherever you may be, uh, and confined to your home, just take the link, and click it, share it with somebody. Uh, the fact of the matter is, regardless of where you're at in the world, um, this information needs to get out. This has been Ian Trottier for Discussions of Truth. And again, until next week, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard, Wednesday, here, wherever you're listening uh, to, but likely on Winwood One. Folks, be awesome.